glad to have you joining us on the podcast where we will dive into everything related to teaching, learning, and technology integration. Our goal is to inspire passion in teachers by discussing strategies and activities that have been successful in the classroom, along with ways to integrate technology for maximum student engagement. In each episode, we want to look at things teachers are doing that are working, detailing teaching strategies and technology integration ideas. Also, special guests will join us to share their own strategies that have been successful with their learners. Welcome back to another episode of Teaching in Tech with Alan and Chad. In this episode, we're going to be getting into our fourth and final installment of Apple's Everyone Can Create series. And the fourth manual that we'll be looking at is Everyone Can Create Music, which focuses on Apple's uh, GarageBand app. And Alan, I'm just kind of curious, what's your level of comfort when it comes to teaching music? I would have to say on a scale of uh, one to ten, it's about a zero. I would put mine right around that level as well when it comes to teaching (laughs) music. And I know a lot of our teachers find GarageBand to be intimidating because it really is, whether you're using it on Mac or whether you're using it on iPad, it really is a very, I guess robust is the best word to use Uh, in terms of the program. There's a lot there. Uh, We use use GarageBand actually to record the episodes of this podcast. So as we get into this today, we're going to take a look at what are some of the ways that teachers can use GarageBand in their classes with students in a way to develop and further the content. And that's really, I think, the important part is that this isn't necessarily being looked at from the frame of a music class. That's, you know, that's a completely different conversation. This is more talking about how can we take projects and enhance them by using uh, audio recording and having students work with it in that way. Yeah, and I think diving into the fact that you can scratch the surface or you can get extremely deep with some of these tools. Uh, over the past few weeks when we've talked through the Everyone Can Create series, you, we've really looked at um, integrating tech can be very surface level, uh, you know, substitution with our SAMR model, um, all the way up to where students are creating or, or redesigning some of the, the material themselves. And the more we can get uh, to the higher end of that SAMR model, you know, the better the technology is being leveraged and the more value it has in class, which I think is, is really what we're shooting for when we start to look at technology integration. Yeah, I mean, the goal is, is to encourage creativity and to improve engagement. And we know students that are engaged tend to want to come to class, uh, tend to gain concepts a little bit um, easier, and then overall have stronger performance at the end of the day. This time of the school year, Engagement is definitely high on everybody's list because here we are in the month of May. We've finished up, for the most part, our our testing season. Classes are starting to wind down. Seniors are looking ahead to graduation at the high school level. And we still have a month of school. We have several class periods (laughs) to go. Yeah. So anything that you can do, any any tools that you have in your your teacher toolbox that you can pull out at this time of year that are going to help students to stay engaged in the content and also just to stay engaged in class in general – are going to be, uh, you know, really beneficiary to both yourself as the teacher. It's going to be better for the students too, because really, if they start to become disengaged, that just becomes another time where the phones come out, heads go down, and and that's what we're trying to avoid. Second part of this, though, along with that engagement, that I think is really an opportunity that you can provide for students, is you're opening up by giving them access to these tools with GarageBand. You're opening up some opportunities for creativity as well. And that's as we start to get into some content areas and some different things that we'll discuss. You know, the creativity is another part of this. And I think 
even if you don't have confidence as a teacher with your skills in terms of music, there's still a lot of ways that this can be applied that students have an opportunity to be creative and maybe enhance a project that they're working on or if you, depending on how you weave it in with your content, um, opportunities just to kind of go a little bit beyond what you normally would. Well, and to kind of set the stage, you know, you're talking about as a teacher, maybe not having the comfort with music itself, but if I gave students the platform or the opportunity to uh, display their strength, because their strength may be music, um, I, I really got a lot more engagement, or I would see something created from the kid that I wouldn't have even thought about giving them an opportunity to create. So I would always try and put a little bit of parameters on what my expectation was out of a project, what I wanted them to incorporate, and then allowing them saying, here's the tools, go do it. So, you know, if you can kind of give them a little bit of tools for their toolbox, but letting them then run with it, I, I think you'd be amazed at some of the stuff that they create. So when you teach with iPad and you think of GarageBand and you're not actually using it in class for the content and it comes, a student gets it out on their own, what's the first thing you normally think of? Put it away. Because <laughs> it's probably going to be the drum kit. Oh yeah. Uh, most like most of my experience, at least Making at the middle school level, yeah, at the middle school level, was either uh, the the mixing uh, portion where they were putting together different tracks with different beats, or it was just the straight drum kit, just wailing away on it. And it was like, okay, we're going to close that down and get yes. back to what we're working on. But that's really uh, not all that GarageBand has to offer. So one of the things about using this is that there is an audio recording as well. And so if you want to start simple, what are some ways that you can have students record audio clips and then insert those into some type of project? Yeah, and, and we've talked about, like I said, throughout this Everyone Can Create series, the, the different resources Apple offers. And I think immediately like Keynote or Pages where you can embed audio clips. And, and we know GarageBand actually does a nice job of isolating the sound to create a nice crisp sound clip that can then be inserted into those those other platforms you know those are great when you start to get into inserting into a keynote slide or a page in your uh, word processing document and pages where you just get that little play icon and then whoever's uh, interacting with that document can just hit play and listen to that audio clip embedded right in there so you start to enhance what you're doing with your word processing document or your slides where it's not just um, you know a visual but now you're adding some audio to it as well yeah and and the fact that you can add the, uh, like we said in pages the drawing the images just the multimedia that that can be incorporated in that i mean, I mean now adding sound or music uh, or even just the speaking piece can now take it to the next level. And if you're not working in a setting where you're, you're working with iPad or you're not in an Apple-centric school, not to say that these ideas aren't easy to transfer. There's a lot Audacity and other apps that are available out there. There's a lot of places you can go to have students record audio clips. Mm -hmm. And then those can be uploaded into Google Drive and put into Google Slide Decks and, and tools that a lot of teachers are going to use who might not be working in an Apple school. So you got a lot of opportunities there, and it's, it's a pretty simple thing to get started with. Really, if you can get either a cheap microphone or the headphones with the microphone in it, uh, it's very easy for kids to kind of sit down and record their own voice and hear how they sound and then and then make the adjustments from there. I really like that when students... Now, if you go through our building, I would say that when you see kids with headphones um, at this point, nine times out of 10, they're going to be AirPods. Mm -hmm. And so those could be used, but 
the older style headphones that used to come with the iPhone, those are really nice with that inline microphone yeah. where students can put those in. And just like you said, kind of cutting out some of that background noise. And especially if you're, if you're in a classroom where there is a little bit more commotion, a little bit more background noise, those can be pretty useful. Heck, I actually uh, felt that had a stronger microphone or a better one than the AirPods. Uh, just with it being close to your mouth, it, I thought it had a better uh, sound quality. I agree, I agree 100%. That my beard, I think, interferes with the sound on the <laughs> AirPods a little bit. So, you know, there could be some user some user error there. But I, I would actually have to agree with you. You know, throughout the time that we've worked on, on the podcast here and a lot of the, the projects that we've done, I mean, I'm, I'm 100% all in when it comes to Apple. But when, it, when you're looking at recording audio... I go back to remote learning. I had some classes that were 100% virtual. Mm -hmm. And just like I would do with my hybrid classes, I would use AirPods. And I found that I actually was better off switching to the, to the older um, cord-style headphones just because, you, as you said, the sound was just a little bit crisper and a right. little bit more clear. I just didn't – AirPods work well for a phone call. They work great, uh, you know, if you're, if you're having a conversation. But when you're trying to preserve the audio quality – um, headphones with a cable just are a little bit better, I think. Well, anything hardwired, we know there's just a strength there. It's just inconvenient. But I'd really like to dive in a little bit. You know, let's expand on some of these projects that you can uh, incorporate the voice. One of the themes that they talk about in this Everyone Can Create series is, is podcasting. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to sit down with a big microphone and have a conversation like we're doing here one-on-one. Uh, but allowing students the platform to kind of talk through maybe different scenarios or concepts that you have in class. I think there's two sides to this podcasting idea when you start to look at how you could apply it in class. At first glance, it might be kind of intimidating to think about students creating a real podcast to publish and put out there. Yeah. Uh, but that's not to say that that's not a worthwhile goal at some point. But at the same time, if you're creating an, more of an internal podcast, where you have a place to archive students' ideas and the different uh, podcasts that they've created, it can still be done in a really useful way, I think, just internally within your classroom, within your team in a school, within your building. Yeah, I mean, t kids can almost create their own, uh, I, I, and I put air quotes around it, published site through Google Slides. And on there, they could have their own podcast homepage and then, you know, have the episodes that are live uh, or, or new on there and just share it within the class. Yep. Even, you know, there's even other ways you could look at that, too. If the teacher has a shared, a shared drive folder where the students mm -hmm. drop their audio files in, it could be a setting even if with a video component. And you wouldn't even have to use video depending on what you put on the screen. But Flipgrid, you know, the beauty of that is that you're organizing all of them in the same place if you want to group them together without any extra work by the teacher. So if you created that grid, instead of having student video messages, they could just be audio related with a graphic in place of where they mm -hmm. normally would appear on camera. So using these tools to our advantage. Uh, one of the ones that comes up, though, and we, and we kind of went back and forth on this. So a concept that could be done in math is uh, talking about statistics in current news events. Um, and obviously this could then sway into our uh, government or history courses where you're talking about current events, but really analyzing statistics and maybe having a debate or an argument about a point of view and then bringing in supporting evidence. So you could have one or two students or even a small group that are on a you know podcast session um, there's actually one out um, they do debate math and they sit there and they talk about different concepts in math and they go back and forth about it 
but just providing maybe the students the opportunity to talk through it, provide supporting evidence. And then as a teacher, you're sitting back and you're listening. Hmm, what are students using to make their point valid? I think it's a great project just from the standpoint of trying to get the students to think through when you sit, talk about the validity of their argument, what kind of evidence can I provide to support that? And if you're doing this in a way where the students have like a very clear uh, roadmap, a rubric of you know what what it is that they're the point that they're arguing, and then where their evidence goes, and then they're putting that into the form of the recording, then once they have their argument down, that can open up a little bit of space if they can add maybe a little bit of wit or humor to it. Oh yeah, it makes it really an interesting project as opposed to if you're just recording yourself saying something that if we're having a conversation and what I'm telling you is so boring that it's going to put you to sleep just because we're recording it doesn't make it any better. Right. So if the students can actually get their, their argument down and they've already, and think about that, the, for them to expand that to the humor and the wit part of it, they really have to understand the concept and the content pretty well first before they can move on to making it a little more interesting just from the style. Right, because then side. there's that layer of comfort there. Right. And even as we're sitting here talking about it, my mind's, going in this project and i'm like if if you were to make this you know even bigger and and create uh almost a spectacle out of this project you could have all four core contents come together and there's standard alignment there with you know news events uh the way that the out that there's an outline involved the writing the discussion piece the math and science that would come in and your evidence and your your analysis of data you know when we talk about really expanding and making things applicable or Uh, meaningful to kids you know that's where our cross-curricular projects really become impactful thinking back to the time when I worked at the STEAM Academy you know project-based learning is a really big part of what you do with the STEAM education yeah and the the way that you describe that this really fits into that project-based learning environment where all the different you know concepts are kind of coming together from each of your core content areas and then maybe this actual recording is kind of the capstone of bringing all that work together. Yeah, and if you allow students to uh, incorporate something maybe from throughout the year, something that they questioned or something they want to research more or something that is current and, you know, they're making the connections that way. You know, adding the student choice layer has, you know, always increases engagement. And is a big part of the PBL process too. Yeah. Yes. In the PBL world, though, the thing that always becomes the challenge for the teacher, sometimes students are able to develop an idea that they want to pursue, but not all ideas really fit neatly into a project setting, into a student-based research type project. Right, you don't want to force it. And so as a teacher, you kind of have to guide and direct them to narrow that down in a way that they can find the right resources, that they can gather evidence and try to come to some type of conclusion as they're looking for a solution to whatever problem that it is that they're addressing. Also, if we move on and talk a little bit about this idea of audio recordings, if you're looking at a statistical debate, trying to find statistics that stand out to you, maybe as a statistic that's interesting or surprising, a statistic that maybe seems like it's maybe being misused a little bit, that seems like it couldn't possibly be true the way that it's stated, those are those are kind of interesting ways to look at numbers. And it made me think about a great way to find some of that information. Google Trends, a lot of people don't know about this, but Google Trends being available online, you can find statistical data on what type of topics people are searching online. And since the Google search has pretty much moved into the number one position as how people find out information about something that they're trying to research, 
you can really get a lot of insight on what's current, what's popular, and what's trending. Well, yeah, think about how many millions of people are constantly, you know, Googling things. Right. I know that's not appropriate. Oh, it's completely appropriate. <laughs> so when you're when you're looking at those trends, the reason why I think that's a good hook or an engagement for students is they can actually look at, they can pull out a topic that they're interested in at the moment. And not only are they able to gather current information about like, where does that fall in terms of the number of people searching for that, the number of people, you know, based on where they're searching for that country by country, different areas of the world. And you can even look at that over the, the scope of a time frame. So we could look at, let's say, for example, from the year 2000 up until the present day, how has the, the amount of times that people have searched that topic, how has that changed? So you can actually even look at like the statistically, how have things changed over time? And I think it's just kind of a nice starting point to give students some ideas for things that they could debate based on statistics and information that they've researched and found themselves. And even kind of just diving through it a little bit, you can even search it by categories. So, you know, if there's a field that really interests a student as well, they could even, they can narrow that down and they would still have that data based on the highest search, you know, aligned right. to that specific field. Right. Yeah. So there's multiple ways to, to kind of cross-reference and search through the data. Yeah. Which is, which is an interesting I had point. no clue about it, so I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. One of the next uh, topics that comes up in Everyone Can Create Music has to do with rhythm and beats as well as creating chords. And for teachers like myself, as you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, probably for you as well, that sounds a yep. little bit intimidating. A little bit, yeah. But when you start to go through the manual and the way that they lay, lay out some of the activity ideas, it's not all just related to something that you would use in a, in a music class, whether depending on how you want to integrate it. Or you're not composing a full song. No, no. And so one of the things I thought that was really an interesting way to take a topic that sometimes can be a turnoff to students and kind of make it a little bit more interesting, we do know that a lot of students are pretty intuitive at picking up GarageBand and cr just creating a basic beat. Yes. And so a lot of them probably could teach us a few things about how they put together different beats that they've done. If you're in a language arts or an English class in a setting where you've got a unit on poetry, one of the ideas that they provided was taking um, the rhythm of a, of a poem, the spoken rhythm of it, and then creating a background beat to go with it. Hmm. And I think about the way that a lot of our students process information and the way that they uh, remember things. You know, we've talked about vocabulary in the past, yeah. how music can be helpful in terms of just the cadence of it, the rhythm of it. And I thought about that with poetry. If you're having the students, first of all, take a, a poem that they're analyzing or working with, and if you have them record the audio side of it, reading it, I think that's a useful thing because they're, as far as their reading skills, working on the dictation and things like that, and then creating that background beat to go underneath it, um, that's a pretty cool project. And they'd have to have some understanding of the flow of the poem. Right. And, and you almost want to create a, a beat or a sound or a rhythm that goes with it that meets the needs or the meaning of it, too. Um, you know, I think when you watch shows and you hear background music, you want something that matches the, the event that's happening. And so you could have some off-the-wall ones, and you could really say, well, that student didn't necessarily understand the meaning of, or what's occurring with the poem at that time. That's true. And as you mentioned, how a, a poem 
has a, almost its own cadence or the rhythm of the way it's meant to be read. Right. And so if the student's reading it in a way where it's very choppy and up and down, it's probably going to be hard to develop a beat to go with that. Mm -hmm. So they would really have to, in terms of the reading, uh, they would have to take some time to kind of work through that, practice it, and get to the point where they could record it in a way that they liked how it sounds. And, the, and I would think, you know, just obviously being an outsider from ELA, looking at it, that, that's probably not a skill that we necessarily think about, how we read it. Because when we read a novel versus a poem, it's different, or music in itself. And so allowing the student that opportunity to kind of work through that, this is adding a different spin to it where... A different having, layer. Yeah, yeah, they're adding those transferable skills and association from music now writing it, it reminds me a little bit of you, you know you mentioned reading a novel so on one hand if you're reading a novel silently to yourself a lot of times you're as you read it you're kind of developing the cadence of the, the way the characters speak and your go back inner and monologue is taking it, over in and your mind creating the voicing and the sound right yeah. and then sometimes teachers use the reader's theater concept where they have different readers take different characters and and it does take they set that stage for you it, to get through that in class too. It really does take some skill from the students to make it where it's not real choppy and hard to understand. Yeah, a lot of my experiences with trying readers theater weren't, weren't real successful, just because whether the student was having trouble with words they were getting hung up on, um, having trouble reading in front of everybody, and they were a little bit nervous where it became kind of choppy. So if you can, in this case, if you can get them to get the point where they can read through the poem with the cadence and with the rhythm it's supposed to have and then create that beat to kind of go along with it. I think it really is a good way just to show that they, they have the flow and the feel of the poem, which would be an important part of it to understand it. Yeah. Now let's move on to an idea going along with these rhythm and, and beats that would fit, I think, with, with social studies or possibly in some ways world studies with world studies, world languages, and even possibly back into your English class. Uh, with, the, with the live loops, there's a lot of different sounds that can be inserted as tracks into GarageBand. And so comparing beats from different cultures and influences, uh, if you're doing a, a multicultural project, if you're doing a project that focuses on a certain culture in a history class, being able to do a soundtrack that goes with that would really help to enhance what you're trying to show about that culture yeah and it would add in that layer of understanding what what that culture represents and they have a lot of those built in when you start looking at the different instrument types oh right and so if you remember we've referenced a couple times each of us over the last uh, summer did the apple learning coach mm -hmm. and one of the projects they had us do involved inserting those loops from from garage band and i can re remember a few of those that i used um, just the different types of instruments. Uh, it was one of the things I did. I tried to get kind of a safari feel, and so the different, like the, the bongo drums and some of the things I put in the background, I tried to select those and be um, kind of intentional and specific about fitting in with the, the theme that I was trying to make them fit with. Students could do the same thing in their project. Yeah, and then they also have a little bit of a model to, if they want to create their own. So they they already have resources there that they can build off of like you did, or they could listen to those and then try and, and create their own that would match their goal of what they're trying to represent. When you think about the, the taxonomy, Bloom's taxonomy, mm -hmm. you look at learning skills. If they're creating their own, they're really getting to that synthesis level. And that's really on the high end, you know, of thinking skills to be able to create that and then to get it to fit with what they're trying to represent. Oh, absolutely. 
So moving on, another idea that's mentioned as you go through the, the manual there for everyone can create uh, in music, creating a scene song. So if you're in a, a setting where you're reading a story, students are going through and identifying some of the different components of the storyline and then creating a song to match that. So in this case, as opposed to just comparing different beats and, and looking at that from a cultural standpoint where it's more of a comparison thing, now we're getting back into creating a song to match a storyline. Yeah. And that's pretty high level as far as the thinking skills involved. Well, I think back to what we were talking about with the poem. I mean, this is almost taking that to the next level because you're, you're expanding beyond just a beat of rhythm and they're having to compose almost some layer of a song that would match the event that's happening uh, in the storyline. Um, you know, like we were talking about with the show. I, and, you know, if you've got music that's trying to represent an event that's happening and it, it, it's disconnected, then you're not truly representing what's going on. And, and there's a disconnection. You're not from conveying the, the idea that feel. you're attempting to convey. Yes. Yeah, exactly. When I think about assigning a project like this, I think to make it successful, it would be really important for the teacher to have very clear and very concise step-by-step directions of how they want the student to move through the planning process, um, thinking about, for example, what parts of the storyline do they want to highlight as they, as they develop this song, talking a little bit, having them identify the type of mood that they're trying to set, what type of culture that the story takes place in so that you can choose a fitting um, soundtrack to go behind it. And then the beauty of it is when you get into creating that song and, and laying in those different tracks, You've got a lot of different instruments to choose from so -hmm. that you've got percussion. uh, You can potentially have guitar um, licks that go in there. And then even from there with some of the the international uh, theme stuff, you can really um, find something that's going to fit just about any scenario that you can imagine, which which is pretty cool. Yeah. I I like the idea of having teachers kind of narrow it down, though, uh, allowing them to really specify what the goal of the project is, mm-hmm. um, especially if you find those really impact impactful components of the storyline that, that you really want to hit, hit on. Uh, you know, when you're talking about a climax of a story or a, a big dramatic event, and you really want to allow those students to, to pull that in and feel the emotional impact of the story in that way, and then make the association. Um, so adding the parameters, I think, would really help with this. Uh, but but knowing that, yeah, all of the tools that are there and kind of giving the kids almost the chance to work through some of those tools prior to that project. Because this, to me, seems like huge. Yeah. I would even start with some practice uh, assignments where we look at how to put together those tracks and walk literally walk them through uh, inserting each instrument and how to layer how long you want each one to take place and how to mix them together and all the things that would go with that. I mean, we would actually probably spend a little bit of time just at the beginning doing that. And then when you get into the actual assigned project, just giving them parameters, how, lo- how long is it expected to be? Um, are you looking for a number of different like tracks that are embedded in there to give it like a little bit of depth as opposed to just maybe, let's say, for example, putting a percussion beat and maybe something else with it. Right. So, you know, the more, the more focus that you can pull in for what you're looking for, 
And, and again, if it's the first year you're doing the project, you're probably not going to have any exemplars to show. But if you can save some exemplars to kind of use in future years, that's always a big help, too, just to kind of set the, the focus of, you know, where can I possibly go with this? And I'm sure, you know, there's going to be a lot of figuring things out as you work through this. Uh, you know, and we've said this in our previous episodes, don't let this deter anybody from trying something. You know, be willing to take a risk. Uh, but but I look at, you know, some of these other project ideas that have come up and, and maybe because they do seem a little bit shorter than, you know, the scene song type of idea. Use those as your opportunity to teach a new skill in regards to GarageBand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, any time I want to, when I would do projects and, and we started to scratch the surface with our iPads when we first got them, you know, if I would focus on maybe one idea or one big thing. And so we would use iMovie. Mm-hmm. because we used iMovie for a lot of different things at the time. But I would try and focus on one new skill so I'd continue to build. Keep building. So, yeah, so by the end of the year, the kids knew a lot of the tools, and then I was kind of then that way I wasn't having to reteach the product they're going to use. Mm-hmm. They could just kind of go in, I gave them the parameters, and then they could build on their own. So all the technology projects that I've done over the years and pretty much tried everything that I've had access to, Yeah. I never did a project with GarageBand. So looking back at this, I kind of wish that I would have found a way to integrate that and teach the kids a little bit more. But probably the biggest deterrent to me at the time was just knowing how how many layers there were to it. And it's, it's intimidating. And if I didn't feel comfortable, and that's where we've said this before, you know, it's going into a teacher's room. You you want them. It's okay. Let's let's start with a goal and work at it. But if I if I was intimidated by it, I'm not going to throw it at my kids. Right. But they would honestly jump into it and incorporate musical themes into their iMovies. So they'd mm-hmm. make their own beats and, and then put them in. And yeah. And that's nice, too, when you're kind of combining the two together with your yeah. with your video content as well as with their audio tracks that they're creating. So one other thing that comes up, we know that in a lot of different content areas, whether it's math, whether it's an English class, social studies, science, um, even in your electives, vocabulary is a big part of being successful. And so we tend to do a lot of work with vocabulary. Sometimes it's in the form of a project. Sometimes it's in the form of practice. My question for you would be, how likely would you be going back to your school days to create a rap related to vocabulary words? (laughs) Me? No, I would not be, uh, nor a song. Uh, my my musical abilities are, are pretty limited. But I but I did always love the idea because I liked vocabulary. We've talked about that before, um, and I liked always just trying to find little little new mnemonic ways to make things make sense to kids. And so, rhyming was always big for me. And it but I would always keep it short. Mm-hmm. So I always enjoyed when I would get kids because I did the rap and song as a project with my students and I would get a lot of really cool projects and they were short, mm-hmm. but I'd get a lot of really cool projects. So the students like this more because I think our students, you know, when we talk about tech being in their hands, they were born with this. And so music is always in their ears. And so I think our kids are more musically inclined than I was. Um, and so allowing them that chance, you know, back, back in the day, I actually had a student, bring her guitar in and her and her partner played the guitar and sang the song that they made. Really? Yes. That's impressive. And we, and we talk and we're like, okay, so it wasn't the, you know, you look at it from a musical standpoint, you're like, okay, 
some of our students, it's not the strongest performance, but the fact that our kids are willing to get up in front of each other and perform this. Oh, yeah. I'm like. That's a lot of courage. That, that, you have to do nothing but commend them for, I look at it from content. I'm like, you not only nailed the content, you then nailed the fact that you're getting up in front of your you know, oh, peers yeah. and doing this. But the, but the guitar one was really cool. The fact that they go, I've been practicing. I want to try it. I've been working on this new song. And so, you know, just just the fact that we gave the kid the opportunity to do that. Otherwise, I could have just said, all right, you're going to do this worksheet or test or paper project. From the teaching standpoint, there's a couple things that, that pop into my mind. The first one would be there's going to be a lot of students who no way know how am I going to perform a song or a rap in any way. So maybe a choice board is a good place for something like this yep. where for yep. a student who has that skill set or has maybe the interest or uh, the the desire to put together this kind of project they have that option but we're not putting certain kids into a situation where you're forcing them to do it's it it feels forced and they're going to feel intimidated and in a lot of cases it's not not going to cause um uh, any problem other than just they they lack of participation and then they I'm going to take a zero on this one. When the goal is to figure out, do they understand what I'm teaching them? And you're not going to get to that right. point. And this when is they just an outlet it. to do so. And so, I always love the choice board ideas. Um, so that's I think that's a great point there, Chad, uh, to to allow students the options of saying, I know this, and this is how I can show you. The other thought that came to my mind in terms of creating a rap or a song maybe you don't feel confident in your abilities to sing maybe you don't feel confident in your ability to perform it but you could still write the lyrics oh yeah so if it was just asking you know to write those lyrics now uh, how you would actually record that but even if you think about from the standpoint of there's a lot of different forms of how things could be um, presented in a performance even if someone was interested in doing something more from the standpoint like some of the spoken word things that you hear uh, being performed oh yeah so there's there's other ways that you can set that up but i think when you start to look at projects that put students that would kind of force them into the spotlight you really have to take into account knowing your students and how they're going to respond to those things mm-hmm. and, and not set up an activity that's going to put more stress really than the amount that you're going to gain from it. And I think that's another good point because if the skill I'm trying to assess um, or force them to learn is the ability to stand up in front and, and public speak, then yes, I'm going to push that on you. But if it's just to see, do you truly understand the content and I'm giving you a platform to do so. So a song, you're creating it that really encompasses all of the components of whatever, you know, thing we're discussing. I don't need you to sing it to be able to read what your song is. You can definitely get what they've gained in their learning from other types of projects if they're not singing it. Exactly. One experience I had with singing, probably the most nerve-wracking experience I had with singing, during my undergraduate time at Malone, we one of the education track one of the courses we had to take was teaching music to elementary students oh and i got the bright idea that i was going to test out of this class since i had taken piano lessons as as a child when i got there how long prior did you take piano lessons uh, there was a a number of years but the problem was when i (laughs) met with the professor for the test out phase i was asked to play the recorder (laughs) and i was also asked to sing (laughs) <laughs> so imagine sitting in the office one-on-one with the professor, and she I can't, can't remember the song that she asked me to sing. 
it was not one of my best days. <laughs> so, you know, this would definitely be a good idea to kind of help. I came to play the piano. You're right. I was hoping just to play, a, you know, play a couple notes for you. Get my, uh, I think it was a one credit hour class. It was a, a short class. Okay. And then move on my way. Instead, I ended up with a one-on-one singing uh, engagement with the professor. And you took the class. But I did get, but I did get to test out of it. So oh, you did. I, I did. Yes. Oh, that's nice. I thought you, the end of the story was you. It was. <laughs> <laughs> so one last thing to look at as we as we kind of come to a close today. The last thing that we've entitled is post-production. So the idea of maybe not necessarily creating new music, but taking something that's already in place and then doing some editing work with it to build something new. So let's talk about an example of what we're thinking of here. If you're in a math setting and you want to talk a little bit about statistical uh, concepts, what if you the students were to take a sports clip of regardless of the sport, a sports highlight, and then do a voiceover recording with that mm-hmm. where they were to discuss or explain statistics in some way. So I'm thinking about I'm thinking about a baseball clip, for example. First thing that came to my mind. Because uh, you know baseball is, is a sport that's really rich statistically, and that's really a big part of the game are the statistics. Yeah. And so the students play, like, let's say, for example, a, a highlight that shows a couple of players, and then as as the player gets a base hit and the students in their voiceover are talking about that's his third hit of the night which brings his batting average to 322 and if you didn't know batting average is what you get when you take the total at bats uh percentage of time that they would get a hit in that number of at bats and explain the concept of that statistic or maybe a pitching highlight and then going through their earned run average and how that statistic is calculated so Again, that would be another thing that might be a good fit for a choice board because depending on your student population, if you have a Some student not like sports. doesn't care for sports, doesn't have the background context, that could be kind of hard. But it, if you give them that choice and there's a lot of options, there's a good chance you can find something they might be able to connect with. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm even thinking you could do, you know, it like your own news, you know, and if you're talking about an event that ha- I know this kind of brings it back to the podcasting, but I like the video piece in the post-production where, you know, if you're talking about the event and you're showing it and now you're adding in the stats and you're talking through what happened in the event and what that means and, and the breakdown from there. Even if it's not statistic based, even if you have a history clip and the students are yes. doing a narration or a voiceover to go with it yes. and then you're mashing those two together. And I think that you could go a lot of different ways with that because the students, we talked about using humor, using wit, mm-hmm. which could make it could make it interesting or even if they take a video and give maybe a different take or a different angle or a different explanation uh, compared to what maybe was there currently with it or even if it was something that didn't have any audio to go with it in the first place so yeah. there's a lot of ways that you could kind of put some of that stuff together just to try to draw out the thought process and again you'd have to give the students a really clear um, idea of what the, the purpose is of this what you're looking for but um, to be able to do these things that kind of go above and beyond the students, they have to be able to demonstrate that they understand the concept because you can't really fake it when you're trying to create, you're trying to make something with the concept. Yeah, none of these projects are, are for front-loading information, I would say. Most of these are going to be um, after the fact mm-hmm. to really, uh, you know, look at maybe a summative way to to determine do they really understand the full theme of any concept. And part of the reason why we're talking about them here toward the end of the school year. Right. 
because you've went through most of your instruction. You when you're looking for these types of things right. and you're you're at the, the kind of the tail end and there's not a lot of new things you're going to introduce and you're trying to look to tie things together or maybe expand on some key ideas that they've learned. It allows that opportunity for review, um, cross-connections, cross-curricular, uh, and obviously, like we said, I think they're just more engaging this way than us continuing to lecture and say, all right, here we go, let's review for next year. The last thing then in the post-production idea, too, would be the idea of um, learning a different language. And so you think about, you know, within our building here, we have Spanish classes. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have French as well. And so to put together some type of... I don't think sign language would work on this one. Well, you know... Unless I, you did what we did on the beginning with the video components. If you were combining together video with audio. Yes. Now, that's actually an interesting thought with our ASL class as well with the American Sign, which is really a neat opportunity for the students we have here that they can, even though we don't have a teacher on staff, that they're able to join a, a virtual academy mm -hmm. and, and work through that American Sign. A lot of what's in that American Sign content um, involves video clips of going through the different signing processes. Yeah. And so this could be a way that they practice and then refer S back to each other. Sign it and, and then also have it. explanation. Even if you had, I was thinking almost like a vocabulary notebook yeah. that includes like a video where they're signing along with audio recorded over it explaining the meaning. Um, so there's there's certain ways you could go in that regard. I'm just thinking that if you can start to get the kids, if you're, if you think about the idea of working with a foreign language, I should say a world language, you really, you're extending not only, they're, they're first of all having to think almost bilingually, thinking in their native language, yeah. thinking in the world language that they're learning, and then trying to do a project with that. That's a that's a pretty heavy cognitive load. So you'd really need to have a lot of support there, and you'd really need to have some clear parameters. And and as you said, not a front loading type activity, but after they've mastered some concepts, something to bring in at the end. And then what's your goal of it? You know, I think about world language. You know, there's a lot of layers to that. And and what are you trying to do? Who's your audience? What do you what are you trying mm -hmm. to get out of that final project? Yeah, I was kind of thinking like in terms of I guess that what came into my mind as I was thinking about maybe something that's vocabulary based or um, explanation based of uh, different different phrases or sayings within that language would just be almost like if you were creating like a library for within the class where students would share um, but you know it goes well beyond that if you're at the end of the year and the students have mastered a lot of new things in their language uh, it could be any number of things I know they've in different classes worked on like menus for a restaurant that are in a different language and um, you know, more real-world project-type applications, that would also be an uh, opportunity that I think would be uh, great for taking the content forward. Oh, yeah. Well, this brings us to the end of our episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed our conversation about using GarageBand and creating audio recordings with students. Remember with GarageBand, even though there's a lot there, it's not something that you want to look at as intimidating. If you just start small and give kids opportunities to learn with it, there's a lot of things they can do to be creative and enhance the projects that they're working on in class. Make sure you check out the description to the podcast for links to the resources that we've discussed here. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and write us a review. You can find previous episodes of Teaching and Tech with Alan and Chad on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.